Hey, everybody. So instead of the usual suspects, myself and Ben, this week, you've just got me, Katie, but I'm talking with one of my friends, another data science manager, much like myself, Michelangelo D'Agostino. Hi, Michelangelo. Hey, Katie. Thank you for joining us. Um, And so we're going to have a few episodes here where we're interviewing, I'm chatting more like it with Michelangelo, talking about mostly an O'Reilly report that we wrote together, but it generally centers on data science management, and we hope that you like that. You are listening to Linear Digressions. So, Michelangelo, we have known each other for a while. You've been a data science manager for how long at this point? Like, uh, that's a great question. I think probably since 2015, so I guess four-ish years. Four-ish years. And you used to be my boss, full disclosure. That is true. Fun fact, I was Katie's boss for several years. Thanks for hiring me. <laughs> Great choice. Um, Wisest move I've ever made. What? Wisest move I've ever made. Oh, now you're just, now you're, now you're just being, uh, let's move on. Um, okay, so uh, the reason that we're chatting, well, first of all, because we just stay in touch because data science managers, there aren't that many of us, and sometimes we like to share tips and tricks and secrets and these kinds of things. Uh, he's nodding for those of you at home. Um, So a little while ago, we were working on a report, I think is the best way to put it, for the good folks at O'Reilly about data science management, which as we were putting it together, we were thinking a lot about, or I was thinking a lot about how this is the kind of stuff we like to talk about on the podcast. So figured it would be fun to get you in here and we could talk about it a little bit. Sounds good. So thinking a little bit at the beginning, so when you, we started out, I was a data scientist, I was working for you. And then eventually you became a team lead. You were still at Civis at the time. And then eventually you left and I moved into like upper middle management or whatever it is we want to call that. And I remember that being a very, uh, that transition being not what I expected exactly. I'm curious if in your own managerial path, you had a similar experience where once you became a team lead or a director of data science, you ended up using different muscles than the ones you use as a hands-on keyboard data scientist? Um, Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think it's definitely the case that it's kind of a different animal being a manager versus not being a manager. But I think that um, I kind of came to it pretty organically and was able to, like, learn that and make mistakes as I went along, I guess. So when I first became a manager... um, it was part of a small but like growing team, and I guess people often call those like battlefield promotions. Where like <laughs> we need someone to be in charge, and so like let's put someone in charge. And so it wasn't like I came in to a fully formed team or a fully formed like organization and had to um, like you know was just parachuted in into this new job and had to learn how to do it. I could sort of like organically evolve slowly from what I had been doing. So. Initially, I probably continued to, like, write a lot of code like I had been doing before, and then gradually, over time, like, almost completely stopped, like, writing code, or at least writing code that was, like, in the critical path of things, um, and started to just think more about the aspects of the job that are just very different from the normal day-to-day of a data scientist. And so in my anecdotal experience, and I'm curious if this is the same with the, the folks that you talk to, like, that's actually pretty typical of people starting out as data scientists, and then like, because the field has been growing so quickly and there have been lots of junior folks coming in, like, at some point, you are you just look around the room and you're, like, maybe the most senior person and, like, yep. that's when you get promoted. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. 
I think like yeah, for for good or bad, that's like the way it, it's more often than not happening now. I think. Yeah. And uh, like, it can often work really well if if the person likes being a manager and like um, enjoys some of the aspects of it that are different or thinks mindfully about it. But it can also sort of be a disaster. <laughs> so. Well, and so on that point, I mean, I think one of the things we wrote in the intro to our report was something to the effect of like we we each in our uh, respective paths like learned a lot just by kind of trial by fire becoming managers and then like learning on the job that's I don't know maybe arguably still the one of the better ways to learn but uh, for, for the sake of the sanity of the new managers out there and for their teams and stuff we figured there were probably some some things that we picked up along the way that well once we picked them up things got easier and so like let's write this down and pass it along yeah totally I mean I think it really does help to like read these books and like talk to people who've gone through this before because at least it equips you with some like tools. But there are some things that you just don't learn how to do until you've like been through that experience. Like you can read about it, but it's like very different the first time you're like in a one on one and someone starts crying, or like uh, the first time you uh, like have to have a conversation about someone's performance and fire them. Like you can read a million books about it and like you can have tips and tricks, but like. Uh, it's very different when you're actually in the room, and and when you mess up, that's when you actually really learn something because you like you see how things can go awry, and then you you learn for next time. Yeah, and I think there's also an aspect of data science management that we tried to emphasize as much as practical, which is like the particular some of the particular like stresses that you're under as a data science leader, because a lot of times the rest of the company is looking to you to like do the data science magic and maybe you maybe you know what that means and maybe you have an intuition for it but I don't know at least for me it took a while to have confidence that what I should be doing was thinking about business processes instead of neural net architectures or I don't know there's there's probably some analog for you but like not just the person management stuff but kind of like what role does is the data science team going to have within the organization that it's operating within yeah that's a good point i think like that they're often different like different kinds of of manager jobs so in the report we um we talked through like an example um career ladder for data scientists and i think like what you're talking about is often the difference between kind of like a data science manager or maybe like a data science director or something like that and so like when you're a manager you do still spend much more of your time doing things that are kind of like familiar to you as an individual contributor data scientist. So maybe you're like doing code review for folks on your team. Like you're, you're talking about architecture, like you're still pretty deep in the problems. Like you're vetting the results your team is producing. You might not be writing all the code, but you're still kind of like deeply immersed in the technical problems. Um, And maybe you can keep track of the two or three projects your team is working on, like all sort of like in your head pretty deeply but then when you become like a director and maybe you're managing like multiple teams, now maybe your team is working on like five or six or ten like different projects and there's no possible way you can sit down and do code reviews or deep dives or like architecture discussions um, on all of those things. And you realize your job is much more like facing outward to the business and like figuring out like what should the team be working on? Like what are the skills that we need? What are the important like business problems I should point my team towards? And it's like that's a very different kind of transition well so and i think that's actually that's a really good point that you were you know starting starting to gesture out there like at a certain point you can't be 
you're in a sense you're still you're still accountable for the data scientists doing good work but you can't have personal oversight on any of it which i know is like was very uncomfortable for me it was super uncomfortable for me too i think it has to be i don't know it has to be pretty uncomfortable (laughs) so then how i mean part of the way at least for me that i just got over it was like you just have to um like you do it enough and then i don't know but i think there's probably also things that you instill within your team to help delegate some of that down how do you think about that yeah i mean i think like the core of the question is like how you start to trust your team enough to like become more hands off yeah i guess and i think time um like a lot of it is just is time and like spending time with the team uh, uh, wait so what was the question the question so again the practice is was like, is like how you do you have, get comfortable with delegating or like maybe if you want to interpret it more tactically like are there certain things that you put in place like processes that make it easier yeah. to get to make sure that there's like still generally like high high quality output even if you're not personally seeing to it yeah. Okay. And I see. I see what you're saying. I think. Um, I think my approach to that issue specifically is like a very cultural one, like trying to build a certain culture um, around the team. And so, I like to build teams generally where people um, are super curious. They like to talk about the work that they're doing. They like to ask people questions about the work that they're doing. And there's generally um, this like element of psychological safety where people feel like. They can talk about the work that they're doing like openly, even if it's not finished yet, or they don't know all the answers, or they can ask dumb questions. And so um, when you have that kind of environment, I feel like one way to to delegate and trust is that like you can you can delegate something, but then you know, encourage people to present their results even when they're in progress and have the team like probe and ask questions, or you can probe and ask questions. And that starts to generally like build confidence because you see how people answer those questions and uh, you see that, like, oh, yeah, I asked a bunch of questions to make sure you did these things, and, like, you had thought of them all already. Okay, so I know you know what you're doing, and I can kind of, like, trust you a little bit more the next time. Or you don't catch a thing, but someone else on the team asks a question that you hadn't thought of, and people start to kind of, like, cross-check each other's work, and then you realize, like, okay, I can pull back a little bit, actually, now, because I don't have to check everything, because other folks on the team are starting to, like, check each other's work and build best practices and, like, right libraries that they're using and it's, it's, it's very much like a cultural approach I yeah i think i think that like the teams that we've worked on we had a pretty high percentage of phds which i think was actually pretty nice because that's that's one thing that is a hallmark i think of like the academic system is you you take your half finished papers into a workshop and people ask questions and beat them up a little bit and it's generally like in the spirit of making stuff better um but i think that then when people are used to that kind of approach, that helps like create the, the critical mass for the culture there. Yeah, I think like that's that's a good academic culture. I feel like there are other academic cultures where people like <laughs> will not talk about something until every detail is like fully understood Fair. at the very very end of the process. Um, I feel like one alternative to this approach that I see maybe like a little bit more in some like engineering organizations is like more like formal process like. I want you to write a design doc about this specific thing. And then we are going to have like an architecture review and then we're going to like officially green light something. And it becomes like a little bit more process heavy. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's kind of another way people can delegate and trust that things get done. 
I'm just a little bit process allergic myself. Like I prefer the kind of like collegial atmosphere. Yeah, I sort of noticed that. We're skipping around a little bit here, but in one of the one of the chapters of our report, it was you were the one who was clearly had the most opinions about agile for data <laughs> science, and they mostly they mostly boiled down to uh, I think you you're, you use the phrase. Um, like the word uh, ceremonial, and what, what was the other word you used a lot? Um, rituals, agile rituals. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, usually not in a, in a, usually in a somewhat pejorative way. <laughs> um, but, but I think the point is like well taken in the sense that like data science, and this is me like speaking a little bit off, off the cuff here, but my impression has been that it's been professionalizing in the last few years in a way that's generally good. Like it feels like a little bit less of a wild west than it was even maybe a few years ago as people are getting serious about stuff like code review and documentation and that sort of stuff. But at the same time, wholesale adopting stuff like agile methodology from software development, like if we just brain transplant that into a data science team, then some of the exploratory stuff that's like the hallmark of a good data science operation that starts to become secondary to, yeah, like the rituals. Yeah, I think I'm a, I, I'm just a little bit allergic to the idea of, like, if I just, like, master these 10 steps to, like, do data science, that if I go, like, from 1 to 10, then, like, I know exactly what I'm doing. And, mm-hmm. like, I think I have a little bit more of, like, an artistic sense of stuff, I guess. And I think we talk about this in the report that, like, a lot of people get into data science because they're super excited about the idea of, like, pouring through a data set and, like, finding something new or interesting in the data um, that they weren't necessarily, like, setting out to find. Or they do an experiment that has, um, like, a counterintuitive result. Or they come up with a new idea. Like, it's a, it's very much, I guess, like, when it's done well, kind of like a creative thing. And some of the process stuff feels to me like, oh, well, just we follow these steps, we write these tickets, we write the acceptance criteria, we move everything from, like, left to right, and it kind of... Um, can suck the joy out of it a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, but I definitely am on one end of the spectrum in terms of process. So I think like uh, where we've landed generally on my current teams is like a much better balance of things where like it's it's light agile and it's a lot of the good parts of the process, but not all of the formality, I guess. One other thing that I should mention now going back to the beginning of the report a little bit is that um, like one other thing we started to dissect early on is that there's different flavors of data scientists and I think we had four of them we had sort of like the the product data scientists by that I mean data scientists who are writing models or code that's meant to go into like external facing production stuff there's operational thank you operational which are usually optimizing like some kind of internal process to the company there's like an engineering uh, data scientist these guys are guys and gals are writing, um, you know, kind of the heavy... They're usually called, like, machine learning engineers now. They they look more like software engineers than, like, maybe product managers. Um, And then the last, which we said use sparingly, is, like, a research data scientist. And that each one of these, they have different emphases within their roles and responsibilities, which means, you know, we try to stay away a little bit from being too rigid about what a data scientist needs to know or what they need to be good at because it depends on the flavor of data scientist so as a little bit of context here so your background is in physics much like mine but you've been working in industry for a while so what are the flavors of data scientists that you've worked with the most and just for context in the rest of the conversations that follow what is the the team that you're working with right now how heavily weighted are they towards 
one flavor or the other. Yeah. So yeah. So like you said, my background is in physics. Um, so I did a, a PhD in uh, particle astrophysics, and I was um, doing a postdoc for a while, and then I left in uh, 2011 to go work on the the Obama campaign, um, the re-election campaign in 2012. And it's funny, like coming from a research background, like you might think that that kind of like research flavor of data scientist would be who I've interacted with the most. And I actually have to say I've probably not ever worked in that kind of environment or ever worked with anyone that I would actually say falls into the research data scientist category, even though it's funny, like our department was called R&D. And I guess like just for for context here for folks who haven't read the report, we'll have a a link to the report on lineardigressions.com. But research data scientist is folks who we kind of said like what they spend most of their day doing is playing around with like neural net architectures and, and like yeah trying to push the envelope on state-of-the-art performance for you know maybe image recognition problems or like natural language processing problems but are thinking about like squeezing the last ounces of, of performance out of models or model model architectures or um speeding things up or something like that yeah um but in the environments i've worked in actually i have to say it's been kind of a mix um, depending on what part of my career, between sort of the operational folks who are thinking a lot about optimizing like internal functions of a business, like work very, very closely with like a sales team or a marketing team to understand performance or build models for um, who we should target with ads or that sort of stuff, but very much inward facing data scientists. And I think that was like uh, pretty much what we were, what we were doing in a, in a, for a, um, in a lot of senses on the Obama campaign. Like, you know, we didn't have a we didn't have a product. I guess we had a candidate who was sort of the product, but we didn't have a software product. Um, what we were doing was like building models to help us optimize. Um, sorry, me specifically. Like I worked in um, the on the digital side around um, fundraising and email fundraising, like particularly. So um, building predictive models and running experiments to figure out how we could raise the most amount of money possible from um, the emails we we're sending out or. How to, how to target emails to maximize the number of people that are signing up for, like, volunteer shifts. So, like, really optimizing the, um, the functioning of the campaign. And so I think I would have described most of those people as kind of, like, operational data scientists. Um, I think at, at Civis, where we worked together uh, before, I think it was probably a mix of operational and, and engineering-type data scientists. So it was operational in the sense that, like, um, a lot of the consulting work that we did was was operational for the companies that we were consulting for. Mm-hmm. Um, and then engineering-wise, like a lot of what we did in the R&D department was like look out across all these different um, client consulting projects and figure out patterns um, and try to abstract those patterns into like best practices, um, software packages that could be reused. And so we did spend a lot of time thinking about like um, more software engineering aspects of data science. So like, how do we write good packages that can be used by other people to do their, their data science work? Um, and then now, um, in my current job, we've actually gone further down that spectrum, I would say. So like, almost nothing that we do, what I call kind of operational. We don't really do anything that's internal facing. Mm-hmm. Um, like one of the things we talk about in the report, there's, there's, a, there's some overlap between the operational data science world and like the kind of traditional analytics world. Um, and in my current company, um, like most of our internal facing operational stuff is handled by an, analy- an analytics team. Yeah. Um, but my team is basically a full mix of kind of like product and engineering sort of data science. So our goal is to take the, the data that our company collects and build data products based on it. So um, anything that's kind of like algorithmic, predictive, recommendation engines, targeting algorithms. But 
all those things end up making their way back out to our customers and our retail retail partners through our products. And yeah. so we spend a lot of time thinking about those products, but then also um, very heavily tilted towards the engineering end of the spectrum as well, because we we write production code, we deploy our own APIs, like we are we do pager duty for maintaining our services. I actually still am on our pager duty rotation and got yelled at. <laughs> I got yelled at this week because I didn't respond to a page quickly enough. Um, but like we think a lot about the engineering aspects of the models that we build and stuff like that. And then last question for this episode, but I think a, an important one is: so when you have a data science team where you have you know kind of this this group of people with a specialized skill set, there's different ways that you might manage them than you would manage like the average product person or engineer or whatever. Um, so that that pulls you a little bit towards from a org perspective, like a centralized model where. Um, you know, the data scientists are all sitting together. They're all working kind of from the same playbook. They're talking to each other a ton. Um, but that comes, if you go all the way in on that, that comes at the cost of them having business context about, like, what is the product that I'm working on? What does this model really need to do for it to be valuable in the way that it's going to be used? So the other kind of model is having the data scientists sit with engineers and product teams and be kind of embedded within those teams and maybe even in the extreme at the cost of having any centralized data science management. So it sounds like there is centralized data science management here in you. Um, but how is that, is that accurately capturing, you know, kind of the trade-off that you have to think about when you're trying to figure out how much of the data scientist's work should be governed by the data science team versus the you know, the project teams that they're working on? Yeah, so this is a thing we talk about in the report pretty early on. I think you actually wrote that that chapter of things, kind of the organizational design <laughs> aspects of data science teams. And yeah, like kind of a handful of different models. There's like the fully centralized model where you have a centralized data science team and people make requests of that team or that team decides what it works on. Um, and obviously the disadvantage of that is that they can be pretty, pretty detached from the rest of the company and the kinds of problems that the company um like needs solved. Um, and then on the other end of the spectrum, there's like the fully dissolved model where like um, there isn't really a centralized data science team, but the di- different product teams or, you know, or sales or marketing, they each have hired a data scientist and they have a data scientist that kind of just lives on that team fully. Um, I've seen that model before and been part of that model. And I, I personally don't love it because I think the, the data scientists get lonely. They don't have other people to like learn from or bounce ideas off of. Um, and then I think the, the model, I, w- I would sort of describe our previous company as having this model, and I think this is the model we have right now, which is sort of like a hybrid of the two, where um, we do have a central uh, data science team that is managed by data scientists. So, and so I run our data science and data engineering teams, uh, and then we have someone, uh, a director who runs the data science team day to day. So like data scientists are managed by data science, data, other data scientists, um, they, spend a, they sit with the other data scientists mostly, and they spend a lot of their time like um, co-reviewing each other, understanding the, the problems that each of them are working on, like sharing ideas and bouncing things around, like a lot of the stuff that data scientists like to do as part of their job. But they're each also kind of embedded in different product areas or product teams, and they'll often go like um, go to stand-ups with those teams, or they'll plan their work in conjunction with those other teams, and like sometimes they'll go sit with those other teams. Um, but they're not like fully um, 
like reporting to those other teams, mm -hmm. I guess. So it's like a little bit of a hybrid model that I think captures the best of both approaches. Cool. So we're going to wrap it up here for today. Um, next time we will pick up with how you recruit, hire, retain people, which was one of my favorite things to talk about with you. Um, so thank you, Michelangelo, for coming talking and we'll catch you next week. Linear Digressions is a Creative Commons endeavor, which means you can share or use it any way you like. Just tell them we said hi. To find out more about this or any other episode of Linear Digressions, go to LinearDigressions.com. And if you like this podcast, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes so other people get to listen to this content too. You can always get in touch with either of us. Our emails are ben at LinearDigressions.com and katie at LinearDigressions.com in case you have comments or suggestions for future shows. You can tweet us at Lynn Digressions. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time.